0: Hello everyone, welcome to the third episode of our series on relationships, marriage and sexuality. In this episode I'm going to be joined by Dr. Bhavna Nissima. Bhavna is a longtime friend. She is my teacher. She's a mental space psychologist. She's a systems thinker and she's just someone who I can have completely mad conversations with about anything. Um, So one of the things that I wanted to speak to you about Bhavna in this um, episode on sexuality and sexing is that oftentimes people from within the LGBTQI spectrum, they're holding on so closely to their identities, uh, to these labels, that when they're approached by someone who is not as aware of the language or terminology of the spectrum, It's met with a lot of resistance and sometimes even ridicule and shaming. And while I understand why that happens, that happens maybe because they've been denied that space, that identity, that honoring of who they are, and therefore there's this sense of holding on to it very closely. But I feel like that resistance, it prevents more people from becoming more empathetic, more understanding or more knowledgeable about what is it that is going on. How are people from within the spectrum experiencing life and relationships and sexualities and that resistance also leads to maybe more misunderstanding, more misconceptions around people from within the spectrum. That's one thing I wanted to, you know, just share your thoughts on. And the other thing is, when I have spoken to people who have identified as bisexual, uh, they share that a lot of the times they are met with accusations like this is just an excuse for you to be insincere in your relationships uh, and for you to be fight for you to find ways to be unfaithful or to be with multiple people. And I see that raw hurt that they carry because of that, where they say that is not true that is not true we want to be close to people or intimate to people who we feel that care that love and attraction for is it my fault if I feel it equally for men and women yeah so there's that sort of dialogue also and in this whole spectrum of sexuality also, also comes in sexual orientation there's identity and there's also things like polyamory that's also part of it the whole thing And that is, again, complicated. Because polyamorous people who identify as polyamorous also say the same thing. That if I'm polyamorous, doesn't mean I'm not loyal or not true in the love that I feel for this person. And they may be two or three people. So it's all very confusing. And I've tried to look at it from the inside because I know I have bisexual tendencies. But I've tried to not label it also because... I don't know enough i've not given myself that opportunity of complete experience of a relationship with a woman or a man there may have been experiences but not the whole you know participation in that sense so i'm like how does this work this is all so you know so if you're fluid fluid then how do you flow in a way which is not causing hurt and harm to self and others yeah, yeah. And then, how is that perceived? How is that fluidity perceived? Yeah. So, these are the sort of major things, I think.
1: So, this is, I think, one area. It's yeah. almost coming into this language and identity performance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Language yeah. The, at the meta level, it's the language and identity performance and how it is impeding our state of being with others. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So whether you call it bisexual or polyamory, there's a specifics in those particular soils, in those particular bioregions of being. But in the larger piece is is language and identity a very useful way to um to process, to understand, to be in this stage of Noticing the other and uh, the Mm -hmm. extent of intimacy, you know, I I, I have almost feel as if these are ways by which we are, there are doors that are open and not open Mm -hmm. in our flow of intimacy with everyone, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, There is a controlling mechanisms that are gatekeepers, these words serve as gatekeepers in our ways by which we can reach. So at some level, our love is damned, damned in so many ways, and the sluice is open, only when the waters of desire increase so much that the sluice is open for it to move downstream. Mm,
0: that's exactly what it is. Oh my God, Barbara. you landed on it so beautifully.
1: So, is, how useful is that? It's a question that we can explore. I mean, we can't just dump it, but-
0: No, you can we can explore it. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of so many things as I'm hearing that, that almost as if that gatekeeper gives you that label, that slip off. Okay, so you're bisexual, you can go on and explore this. Also, oh, you identify as queer, you can go on and explore this and that is okay. But if you have not owned that label and not declared it to the world, there are so many places where you see an opening and you step away. Yes. You see an opening and you step away. Because it's hard to even acknowledge it to yourself. Yes. That is there. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I have been thinking of, instead of moving from these identities in this space, of other metaphors to reflect. So. Once I thought that, you know, instead of so, the one of the popular things has been that sexuality is a continuum, homosexuality on one end and heterosexuality on the other end, kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't like it. I just still don't like it. So I'm just going to play with various other things that is going on and just see. So, what if I thought heterosexuality is like an uh, Indian masala cookie, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty intense and it's so loud and that it just awakens a ton of energy. And then there are those of us who don't like it and would like French cooking. And and homosexuality is that very subtle when there is so much of sameness in the body
0: yeah.
1: and the sameness of the hormonal movements. Yeah. To still find attraction is to be able to notice those subtle ways in which the other exists. Yeah. And, and that's a very uh, delicate way of just sensing the other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that heterosexuality is when this sensing of the other is, is just too close, too close, too close to your own mirrors. Yeah, yeah. That you move into this mm. deep separation. Um, so, how is it that? the way we are perceiving needing or willing or being open to perceive the other and therefore that flow of of touching, of, of reaching, of holding. How is that is also a reflection of all the other inner stuff that is happening. And I've been asking this question on I feel really attracted to women. I notice them. I really enjoy noticing. I enjoy being with them. I mean, I am so happy and just so me when I'm surrounded. Oh, I hear
0: you. Yeah.
1: And yet, what is it that I go here and then I come back? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that I go here and come back? And what is it that I'm sensing if I just don't put those identity labels? What else am I sensing over here? That is like the edge of my being that is teaching me something. Yeah, yeah. And then I go into this huge chasm, right, of the heterosexual relation that is a huge chasm of it is. Oh my God, two yeah. different kinds of bodies that I'm noticing, voice, tonalities that I'm hearing, and hormonal movement that's very different, a yeah. cycle that's very different. Yeah. And something else is happening over here. And what is that teaching me? Mm. And and my movement in, not in between, but through all of this, what is it telling me about the other ways in which I am not experiencing the world?
0: Yeah, oh, I hear you so deeply, yeah. When I'm listening to you, there's a thought that comes to me that some part of that breaching that edge of noticing that edge and stepping back, for me, is the fear that if I go here, there's no coming back for me. And I've felt this many times, and I think I actively stay back, hold back. Mm-hmm. That's one. The other is, will I be received as openly as I can make myself present? Will I be received? I don't mm-hmm. want to be a subject of curiosity for another woman.
1: Yeah.
0: For them to explore and dabble in and then say I'm too afraid. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So
0: there are both of these things and I've actively over the years just hold back.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I want to begin to think about sexual orientation as simply an orientation at the top of the plateau. Which edge am I exploring and which edge am I not? Mm -hmm. And what is my very tendency to explore certain edges and not other edges, telling me more about me rather than that about the plateau? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's very useful. So we'll not go deeper into that because it will do
1: other things. Yeah, really? it <laughs> because it's
0: already flowing in many ways. This could have been a session on its own.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, so I know. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. The other thing I wondered about is how people show up in intimate places where I've been reading a lot on domination and submission in yeah. sex, which is also a part of sexuality. And there are these... There are these groups of people who experience love only through pain. Sexual love through pain. And uh, they seem to be able to completely let go of everything. So I talked to this person a lot who calls himself a dominant. And I asked him, what is it that gives you this thrill of wanting someone to submit to you? So he said the word is very problematic. One, if Somebody thinks of dominant, they feel like I'm inflicting pain without consent. That is not true. The partner who dominates in a subdom relationship is also the partner with the most responsibility. It's also the partner who makes all of the big decisions that the other doesn't want to make. Decisions around money, around what should be bought, what should be spent. Any decision that involves a lot of stress. So you're happy doing your thing, but anything that needs a lot of maintaining and caretaking, I do. I was fascinated by that. I said, I didn't know that. He said, yeah, you don't know a lot of things. And then he said, my responsibility also extends to my partner's pleasure. She gives up everything. She is just there. She is free. My responsibility is also to make sure that she enjoys, that she experiences pleasure in ways that she's never experienced before. And I'm like, that seems like a lot of stress and responsibility on you. How do you experience pleasure in this? And he says the way a king does, an emperor does, that he is responsible for so much. And there's that, maybe that thrill of power, where it also gives you sleepless nights. It also makes you feel like everything depends on you. And somehow that is how I experience pleasure. I was like, oh, wow, I have never thought of this like this. And then I spoke to somebody out of curiosity. I do all of these side conversations sometimes and person who identifies as submissive. And she says that my thrill is just letting go. That I am free to experience love the way I want to. If I want to kiss my lover's feet, I throw away all of those insinuations that come with feminism. If I want to dress up the way my partner wants to see me, I do not care how the world labels me. I want to do what he or she wants me to do. I just do that. That for me is freedom to love. That for me is freedom to be what people may call a slave, what people may call, you know, someone who enjoys humiliation. But in that humiliation, in that in that slavery is when I experience deepest, highest pleasure. Because I have some simply let go of everything. I don't know what to make of this. There's a part of me that says maybe people's early experiences when they've been of pain and trauma around sex. Maybe a part of the body remembers that. That is how the body remembers pleasure because it's very confusing. And I can somehow relate with my own experiences how... I enjoy sometimes borderline violence in bed. It's very scary. But it happens only when there's a lot of trust and commitment that certain lines will not be crossed. I visualize it. I fantasize about it. It's very strange. And I also think about the kind of thrill that it gives to think about people submitting to you worshipping you as if you're a goddess. And that, I think, is a reflection of dominance. I'm not sure. So there is all this bit also, which is very problematic in mainstream uh, media, where it is mostly looked as the physical aspect of pleasure, of how you hurt and gain pleasure, or how you experience pain and gain pleasure. But I think there's a whole lot more to that that has not been explored or thought about.
1: You sure we shouldn't have started the podcast right now?
0: <laughs> we have the recording, now, no?
1: Okay, because this is just so fascinating.
0: Yeah. We have the recording, it can go anywhere. Yeah. As in, <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is so powerful. I mean, I, I feel, I've, you know, it's just so enriching to just yeah, talk to just so as you bring I am forced to think right yeah, I yeah. can't just be I'm, I'm listening and I'm processing and there are things that is being triggered and they're all coming and mixing in this new soil yeah, and yeah. something else is happening and so as just as I can I respond yes please ah, okay <laughs> please, please respond <laughs> So I, I really like these side conversations you have had, which has not been about the physical part of it, no. but the psychological aspects of it, and it's just reinforcing something that's been I've been thinking about for some time, and that is when we talk, we say the word sexuality, we we seem to consider it to be a complete separate category of its own, yeah. whereas. There is no part of us or in our life processes that is separate from everything else in our lives and in the worlds around us. Yeah. So, so I am beginning to, as you are speaking, and I am reflecting, and it's also affected by the sexual orientation metaphor pieces, is this, is this what happens when your intimacy is great? What are those other creative pieces that you begin to explore
0: mm.
1: in those very close spaces that you're not able to do in the world where there is this distance and in intimacy right now? I mean, although our conversation has made us really very, very close, yeah, still yeah. the zoom screen and everything that yeah. is just still, I know I can't touch you and yeah. speak, right? Yeah. There's still yeah. this. The distance mm. and in our clothes and everything we're still performing somewhat of an intimate distance sure. right a distance intimacy yeah. and so what happens when a lot of that is shed those usual pieces are mm. shedding and you're so close to another person yeah. do we naturally become creative in the way we want to do our worlds differently is is somehow the reason we are not being able to be very creative in the words is because of the massive amount of lack of intimacy all the way through the entire day which is subverted or which finds a space of a different expression and so i am beginning to think should we even use the word dominant and submissive Mm. Because that itself brings in a hierarchy of power and power itself is a non-systemic thinking. It's looking at two individuals without looking at the entire yeah. system yeah. that's yeah. playing a role in it. So can we just think them as creative partners doing various forms of creative expression that for one, the expression of being or being or, you know, of... of of being the active mm. active shakti, mm-hmm. even if it's a man or a woman, it's the active shakti, it's that dynamic energy yeah. of taking responsibility, of directing, of leading, of being as that moment of being, whereas the other in that process of as you beautifully said, as this freedom. Yeah. from everything. But that underlying that freedom is this other piece that you again pointed out is trust. Trust. Is that where you are unable to do trust in the world, which is why you're not free, yeah. you're able to do trust in bed yeah. and therefore you become free.
0: Yeah.
1: And that powerful state is basically, literally the parasympathetic coming into action and I mean parasympathetic not coming into action but just being activated, being engaged. So mm-hmm. it's an exhalation. So is that, can we begin to consider that two people as inhalation and exhalation, literally a breathing of a different kind oh, okay. in two bodies but just as the same air moving in a very creative form which requires the other, we cannot do it without no, the other. we can't do
0: it without the other, we can't do it alone. Oh, and that inhalation, exhalation, such a beautiful metaphor there, Bhavna. And I'm thinking of how a lot of the times when we are doing our presence in the world, performing it, it's almost like we're holding our breath. We're literally holding our breath so many times in work, in families, where we cannot be truly ourselves without some amount of shame or guilt or pain or non-acceptance. And you find this corner where you can exhale. Yeah it can just be without shame and how freeing that must be, that can be yeah. yeah. and one can name it different things, one can name it BDSM or subdom or whatever, one can yeah. name it many many things but I think it is the space of letting go of just being who you want to be innately that is so powerful, that's such a powerful thought
1: yeah And and once again, I think these naming conventions are coming in the way of our being and interacting and just alive sexing. Alive
0: sexing. I love that. Alive sexing.
1: So instead of doing that, we just bring in too much of crap into it. And whereas it's just this beautiful play that is going on. And why to categorize it in any form, except that it's also a place of healing?
0: It is. I think this it
1: place, is. play is also a place of healing. Oh. Do I learn to trust? Do I learn to take responsibility if I'm not doing it? Yeah. Do I learn to see that it's okay being all that I can be? Mm. Do I learn something in just letting go and just trusting the universe will just take me in the flow.
0: So beautiful. It reminds me some about some article I read recently around rape fantasies a lot of women have rape fantasies and it's something that is not acknowledged. They have violent fantasies also that their partner will take them forcibly. And there are these whole segment of people who are trying to understand and these women, you know, they're otherwise very powerful, articulate, quote-unquote, feminist women who wouldn't want to be treated like that, who wouldn't want to be, quote-unquote, taken like that. And then someone said something very interesting that the fantasy is... Exciting because it is the woman who is directing the fantasy. She is in control. And the many times she has been violated outside of the fantasy, when she wow. is creating that fantasy, she is reappropriating her power. She decides wow. who touches wow. her, when, and in what context. Ah, so, beautiful. yeah, wow. and as I was reading about this, It's a beautiful collection of women's fantasies by Nancy Friday called My Secret Garden written way back in the 60s. It was an explosion. A lot of those fantasies are letters from women who said this is what I want my partner to do to come home, blindfold me, tie me up and force himself on me. And there are women who have orchestrated this agreed on this is the time you'll come in and I'll pretend I don't know you where a lot of role play comes in. I will pretend as if I don't know you and you're a plumber or a mechanic or something and you just come and force yourself on me. And when women try and, when other people read it from the outside, they're flummoxed as in, so you are protesting about consent and you're protesting that you don't want to be hurt and touched like that, but this is you in the recesses of your bedroom mind wanting this, what is going on. And it makes sense to me As someone who has experienced sexual violence, then maybe what I'm doing is, in that fantasy, rewriting all of that. And maybe that is also a way of coming a little bit close to healing, where you design who touches and when and how, and you are a willing participant in it. And that is some form of release some form of
1: freedom yes yes so that emotional component of when you're violated is just out out yeah and so at the end of it you already have destined pleasure yeah not that pain and helplessness and powerlessness that Mm -hmm. goes with violation So, so it's it's literally rewriting the end of it yeah and so you are you you are doing a trauma release in a very different way Wow, yeah. And this you was, could, you, possibly could, you gain could possibly. You could possibly.
0: I mean, yeah. and I thought about this and in the beginning, I think the first few years, the thought came to me, I would hate myself for it. What's wrong with you? How sick do you have to be to want something like this? But I think lately I've begun to accept it, that this is me trying to take back what I couldn't. This is me mm-hmm. choosing who I want to do this with. This is me choosing how my body participates in this. And of course, there are people who are experts in, in sex and intimacy who say that the, any kind of fantasy, be it rape fantasies or, or you know incest fantasies or same-sex fantasies, domination fantasies, the reason why they're so, so attractive is because mainstream discourse forbids it. You're not allowed to even think things like that. So if you perform these fantasies in a consensual environment with a partner with a lot of love and care, you're owning back some parts of you that have been rejected otherwise. Yes. And maybe there's some healing in that. Maybe there is some <gasps> going back to things in that.
1: It's almost like a fast cure. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Way, <laughs> yeah. In a very
0: different...
1: Oh, wow. wow. So at the end of it, the interpretation that we make after a sexual violence is that either we were responsible, something in our body did that, or maybe we couldn't manage it better, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we couldn't fight The Hundreds and thousands of disempowering mm-hmm. beliefs that we form at the end of a traumatic episode. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of a rape fantasy... You have been so much in charge that the end of it, your belief is it's it's not unexpected. It's not violence. It's
0: yeah.
1: It just gives pleasure. But then there is also this other shadow in that process. Mm. Is is somehow are you trying to normalize violence?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Also under that, that the next time you're raped, you just are going to enjoy it and not going to because the after effects of traumatic violence is way more painful than sometimes than the violence itself because it just lingers and lingers over yours and so is there something underneath that mm. and once again i also feel that when we speak about it in an abstract away from the actual women who, or men who actually do this i think we are just thinking of sexual balance as a category, not as a very unique, each individual experiencing it in a very different way. Different way, yes, 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 yes. And going into this entire life journey and what is happening. And so maybe for rape fantasy, for some maybe healing, another it may be re-traumatizing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. We don't know. Because even with all of that fantasizing
0: and trying to reappropriate business, you know, there have been times when I mean, I can only speak for myself. When a slap happened in an intimate encounter and it froze me. It froze me. I was stunned and I could not be present anymore. I found ways to stay away from that person. Maybe, and my mind tries to rationalize it, maybe that happened because it wasn't agreed upon. Maybe that happened because we didn't talk about what was okay and what was not okay. I don't know. But the suddenness of it was very traumatizing. So there are all of these things that, you know, and one part of my mind wants this and one part of my mind rejects it and my body rejects it, but it also wants it. It's very crazy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think looking at the uniqueness of experience is important when we talk about things like this, yeah. which, is, which is what brings me back to labels and mm-hmm. languages that we started talking about that how easy it is to then put people in boxes to say, you're gay, you're queer, you're heterosexual, you're cis, you're asexual. What's happening over there as we, as we put people in boxes? The one thing I see also happening is that, and I'm saying this, I'm very scared as I'm saying this, is that people become very attached to those labels. Yes. Very, very attached. And everything suddenly seems to be an affront Or something else, you know, any question, any challenging, any wanting to know is an affront is is a violation. You don't know what it feels like because that single story, when you give that single story a name that is not just a single story, it's many people who can use that single story as that story. I think some of the, a lot of the nuances of what happens uniquely are lost. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh,
1: I've got a little bit of a flutter. <laughs> yeah. Which, is, which includes also, you know, the homosexuals not wanting to try heterosexual experiences. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: All the way. I think we are all queer. I think we are all queer. We are all queer. Yeah. That is the way of the living system. The yeah. straight is a industrial, post-industrial notion. Yeah. Is that We are all meant to be attracted to everything else. Everything
0: else.
1: We are all supposed to be with everyone else. I mean, when I lose a girlfriend, it just hurts me and I suffer so long. And it just breaks my heart. It's so hard. But then I'm not allowed to put it in a romantic, sexual, intimate. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to treat friends in a particular social way and not... But friends not speaking, friends not paying me attention, friends not... Be- oh, God, I suffer. Yeah. And you're not even allowed to talk about it or confront
0: it in the same way, you know? Like for if I call out a friend who's been ignoring me for months and months now, if I call yeah. and say to her that this is hurting me, why are you doing this? Will you allow yeah. us a breakup after so yeah. many years of friendship? I'm guessing, and I may be wrong, that it may be met with... Oh, but it's okay, friendships die, you know? You wouldn't yeah. say that when lovers parted. Yeah, we were... You wouldn't. Yes. You would allow yes. for someone to howl and cry and hurt and say, okay, we're having a messy breakup. Let's yes. Let's phase our way through yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But for friendships, you're not given that space and you're supposed to somehow make sense of it going through the Instagram and their Facebook, seeing them alive and kicking, yeah. but not yeah. responding to you.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I just had a girlfriend who say she's coming and then um, that she was wearing a new dress and I'm wearing the new dress for you and it pleased me no end (laughs) it pleased me no end that a woman was dressing up for me because it matters it does it so matters it so matters Mm. so I I think and, and then again that same thing that like when we put sexuality as the final kind of the most important intimate act, and if, as you have also said this before, and I heard you say it in one of your YouTubes or podcasts, I have heard you say intimacy is all around, right? It's all around, yeah. It's all around. When I put my eyes to gaze at you, when I pay attention with my ears, and I'm sniffing your smell in your presence, I'm already intimate, right? Yeah. All of this is continuously there. We are all the time sexual. Yeah. We are all the time intimate. We just learn to put all these brackets and mathematical equations mm. onto it. Mm. And and of course our life energies do not allow us to be closely intimate to every being. Yeah. Yeah. At least at this point that I understand. Yeah. I think you're <laughs> I, I,
0: I, I thought about that and again, you know, this was the second thing we were talking about that, you know, if, so if, it, if someone feels free enough and has that much energy to want to flow in multiple directions with people as far as intimacy is concerned. Well, it's difficult. I am only imagining it to think how difficult is it? It is because if I'm WhatsApping or chatting with three people, half a day is gone and if you're intimately connecting and flowing with two or three people how does one how does one do that how does it affect the practicalities of life of also showing up the depth of showing up can it be the same for every person you flow with i don't think so i don't know maybe there are people who can do that i mean i don't see myself being able
1: to do that and you know yeah yeah yeah. and i'm beginning to think of muffin right now The two weeks or three weeks of absence that she took from your family yeah yeah to be with her partner yeah and you know we're not doing that are we we're not. we want to just have a one night or a couple of hours and go back to our lives and then we are just navigating between apartment blocks and streets and hotel rooms or maybe other places of meeting and aren't we doing that and isn't that unnaturalness of the whole thing also affecting how we are doing intimacy and so then we have this fake word called relationship Mm. which is a very forced effort
0: Mm.
1: to somehow navigate all the other blocks of apartment career. Family duties because your son has to go to school and then something else is going
0: on oh, and mother needs yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Like, I can't, you know, for me, I find it hard to think of. And as you're saying, this is if we were able to do that two, three weeks of going and exploring, experiencing that other person. What I'm feeling is that if I was able to do that, maybe my tendency to keep looking, I have this tendency, I accept it. To keep looking or to keep being drawn by people, what would happen there? Yes, maybe it might it maybe it will diminish. maybe I wouldn't want that attention from from those many people because I've experienced something so fully, and maybe the thought of flowing different directions is so attractive right now because I'm not flown fully in one direction in years. Years, yes. Years,
1: Unmediated yes. Unmediated by all the demands and everything. Muffin just took a clean break. <laughs> she said, like, I'm going, I'm off. She found her mate, she just took a clean break, spent the time with him doing whatever she did. And then she got fed too, obviously. I mean, she might have not fed a lot, but she yes, did she, feed she did, enough yeah. to keep doing whatever she was doing. And when it was over, okay, now it's time to go back to my family. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If you I could, think it's so powerful. powerful it's so
0: powerful. Man, if we could allow it, ourselves and each other that, I mean, it's difficult for families to even allow their children or their siblings Then one day, one night off. You know, it's met with so much resistance and guilt. Why do you need to do this? You're okay yes. being a mom and being a you know you're a daughter and you're a mother. Just focus on your kids. Just focus on it. Your... <laughs> There's a part of me that sizzles at that. And that 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 reacts to the thought that maybe to the time my kid is in college I can't invest fully. I can't go off with a man like that. I can't live with a man like I have to keep coming back.
1: But to yeah. limit and very it, quickly very before quickly. you get bit, So you haven't actually consumated that intimacy. You haven't done the entire creative work. It's a mm-hmm. masterpiece that's always left.
0: Yeah.
1: Right at the first few notes. Yeah. Yeah. And so is our angst, literally, that we haven't completed our masterpieces with sitting with others?
0: No, yeah, I don't think we have. Oh, okay. Hmm. I
1: mean, even a couple of hours, is the phone checking in for the messages, responding to the calls where it's required.
0: It's just messy. It is so messy because you're missing out on so much. What is this other person seeing, looking? You can share pictures of... Uh, what my backyard looks like look what I ate today and that makes you feel something like you, you, that person is sharing with you but you're not there you're not in that experience and I think there's some feeling of that and I can only I keep coming back to the subjective because I find it hard to talk in any other way that keeps me from investing fully because I know I can't and then those interactions remain just that their surface. there's a part of me that feels like I'm failing the other person and also myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so what if it was nothing about your sexual orientation or your ability to maintain relationship, but it's the level at which the industrial world has interfered in our ways of being with others?
0: Mm. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. What if it was that? What if we had communities who would support... You go off, you explore, I'm here, I look after. What if that was possible? Yeah. For both men and women. For both men
1: and women. Yeah, both both men and women. And just take off. (laughs) Almost feel like all couples should take a month's holiday and go (laughs) off to some other country or some other village (laughs) and just stay there together, you know? Just eat fuck and sleep, that's it. Sleep and
0: that's it and then come back. And how would how would that be different? I think that would be so, so different. That would be so different. And it also reminds me of this interesting component of distance where I hear from a lot of long distance couples or people who are attracted to somebody who is very far, that there is a part of them, and I can say this for myself, that there is a part of me that resists fully investing in this person who is so far away but interested in me. Because in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to experience you? How are you going to experience me? I am just going to torture myself every night thinking of you and you're not here. I don't want this. Go away. Yeah. That happens, that happens, that you would just, you know the reality of it and you know that for you to be together is going to take, I don't know, how many years, how many months of something and even then it might not work out. So, of course, I'm just barely putting my toe in the water. I'm not all the way in. I'm terrified. Yeah. And that's disservice to it's actual real pain, but it's also disservice because somewhere you kept hanging and you're keeping the other person hanging mm. so much room for reflection there,
1: yeah the other I piece, feel we should not separate out so many things you know I just feel a living is got too many semicolons
0: <sighs> too many semicolons, yeah. Too many settings. So
1: it's, it seems like a journey all the time. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Instead of a flourishing and a growing. Mm.
0: Tell me a little bit about how you feel about relationships or people, and I'm thinking about it from my own experience, where someone has said... I don't get intimate with anyone I don't, don't feel a connection with. And then that intimacy happens. But that person very quickly moves on to somebody else and somebody else. But they keep returning to you saying, I still feel that connection. But here I am, I want more of you. And regularly, I don't want it to limit it to, say, a weekend or a week. And I say this in context of maybe polyamory. Again, you know, this whole conversation has made me averse to using labels, but for the sake of making this simpler to understand that a lot of polyamorous people, when they're investing their time and energy in two or three people, you can't be present in terms of physical time equally or as deeply for, or for at the length, a long length of time with all of them. And what's happening over there? And then, then people who they're interacting with and they see this connection and intimacy coming to you, but it's not lengthy. It's not for a long time. It's for a short time. And then you feel this person used me, was here only for a short while, and now he or she has moved on to someone else and it hurts. And when you talk about that with them, they're like, I still feel connected to you. I want to keep coming back to you. The difference is I don't want to keep here sitting waiting for you. I want you here more often, deeply. I want you to be reachable. So there's this strange thing happening around people who feel that they're polyamorous and declare themselves as that. And then there are other people who are coming in touch with them and they're unable to grasp this flow. Hmm.
1: I think we use a lot of words to just, you know, hide and somehow feel okay with all the stuff that we are doing. I think of haiku. You know, it's just so short, uh-uh. but you can't compose haiku easily. It it takes all the effort. Mm. It takes so much of pondering to be able to compose a haiku. You can't just. Decide to go into the kitchen and compose it. and just come out. Can't do it. And therefore, a person who composes haiku will not compose a lot of haikus because it's not possible.
0: Mm.
1: That it's not just about the length of time, but it's the depth of presence. It's so deep that it's complete.
0: And so deep that it's so complete. It's complete. I like that. I like that.
1: So like a calligraphy. I mean, sex as calligraphy. Can you just do one stroke? Mm. With such presence and awareness, that, that stroke is done. It's now out in the universe together. Mm. Because I find all of this is just incomplete loops of emotion. Emotions that do not cycle. Mm. But are left hanging I like bridges to nowhere bridges to nowhere, and people always are at the edge of it, neither need, they can neither go back nor go forward. It's just left in multiple bridges to nowhere it is it's yes. a painful it's a way of separating this universe into very isolated individual islands, mm. and it's Devastating. I think it's more than, when you say hurt, I think it's not merely an individual hurt and is this some kind of, a, you know, I'm perceiving that. I just think at the other level that it's, it's an injury to the world to leave individuals in incomplete spaces.
0: And I think what happens with people who try and speak that hurt left hanging in midair, a lot of the modern chatter around being mature, taking it easy, be yeah. cool. You're not allowed to speak that, hanging hurt. You're not allowed to say it like that. You're not allowed to say, I miss you, because you're not going to hear it from the other side and maybe even be shamed for being so emotional. Yeah.
1: Those, those double binds in that. Those double binds in that, yeah. yeah. And
0: it hurts so deeply that I cannot forget you just because I was with you for a night. I remember you so deeply. And I wrote poetry about how we interacted and met in that one night. And you've moved on. And it hurts yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, so what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about writing a haiku that is... So perfect in its brevity is the intention of writing it, the intention of it. So I want to create calligraphy or haiku. Do you want to do the same too? Yeah. Is what is left out a lot of the times. Yes. This is who I am. I take deep dives, but they, not, they may not last for more than 30 minutes. If you look at diving time, 30 minutes is long, really, really long. And I see all of the layers of the ocean and all of the fish in it and all of the colors and I breathe it. Can you do the same? Yes. Or would you rather stay afloat on a boat for an entire day? And I think those things, those unsaid things, those not talked about agreements is what causes a lot of the hurt because you're coming from two different places. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So one other thing that's coming to me is this whole, um, when we talk about relationships or attraction, a large component of it is sexuality of how sexual you, or sexually attracted okay no how attracted and alive in your body you feel around somebody yeah and that for me has been for the longest time confusing because when i've acted on that and not paid attention to how is this person caring for me how am i caring for this person how is this person present for me outside of the bedroom i have landed into deep shit literally So over time, I have learned to not pay attention to how alive is my body feeling because I'm afraid of my own judgment and my past. And I'm only looking at now, how is this person present? How steady is this person? How caring is this person? But I also feel dead. And I've heard this from a lot of women. Yeah. A lot of women and a lot of men that in their early, in their youth or maybe early dating or relationshiping years, they may have followed how alive is my body feeling, but it somehow led to something else happening. Of course, this is simplifying it. That if I only pay attention to my body, I'm not paying attention to the relationship or the person. But if that has been the primary marker, what people call quote unquote attraction, how attracted am I to you? And then you have missed out on how good is this person for me in my life right now? Or if you haven't looked at how the other areas this person contributes to me, you may have landed into trouble. So over time, people develop this tendency and tell themselves, you may not find physical sexual attraction in every relationship, and that's okay. Look at what really matters. Yeah. And that you hear as steadiness, as fidelity, as being present, as everyday care and when i try to do that i feel dead i feel i feel literally dead
1: so i think the issue is not at the attractiveness level i feel if we can chunk it up further is my feeling is it is a very visual culture that our society has moved into Mm -hmm. we do so much of screen time we do so much of social media yeah, gain screen time a lot of visual inputs we do a lot of uh, destination uh, our right from education the certificates that we are trying to get you know bsc ba phd whatever it is mm-hmm. and uh, career markers are you this are you that all of this is a very visually focal vision oriented kind of culture that we have moved into yeah. And we are not using the peripheral visions anymore. We are not using the other somatic markers of sensing the body like uh, an animal does in the forest anymore. We are too focused on where to go next and what is to happen. We're not even in this moment, we are always in either the immediate future or a distant future. And there's just all these pieces that is there. And our sensory abilities to receive in all those parts of our body is damaged. And when all of that is damaged and we have put in so much of attention into our visual focal vision, how is that not going to be really disorienting and confusing in bed when you cease to do this and begin to activate the others? Of course, you will... F- To put the word dead is again a problematic thing because Mm. I think perhaps it's not the deadness, but it's the disorienting. I am not knowing where to go and I am supposed to be feeling this, 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 this. It is that entire orgasmic culture which is problematic. Mm. Because when you talk in terms of orgasm and did you get pleasure, it's like as if there was a destination. Yeah. What is this bloody destination? Mm. What is this nonsense of a climax? I'm climaxing all the moments, mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, I'm climaxing at this moment when I'm talking to you and you're laughing and smiling. And I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> something has happened. So those markers, right? This has to be achieved through ta-ta-ta, this happens. You touch my erogenous Jones and you were pleasing into my, and I had this internal connection and therefore I reached. All of that is playing a role. And once again, sexuality cannot be studied in absence of everything else that is happening in our worlds. And everything in our worlds is status marked and destination marked and goal marked. And everything is huge nominalization boxes and categories, which we are continuously either wanting to or being pushed to go into. Mm. So in all of that, how can the bed be just a peaceful, blissful wonderful experience it's meant to have all kinds of nonsense happening
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and yet it is also that place where so much of the usual social norms are thrown out but literally with the discarding of your clothes yeah That there is this place of creativity something shifts, and it's way more than an intercourse way more than if there is something really called very clearly marked as orgasm because that's the mathematical way in which our bodies are studied you just let that go and instead consider the art of sexing mm-hmm. then i am wondering if it is not the most main thing that we can do mm-hmm. and to be in bed with our partners in various ways and experience what's happening
0: what's happening
1: yeah and to
0: be in bed and i'm thinking about this ridiculous thing to be in bed when you're not in bed also yeah Mm -hmm. and what would that do yeah yeah Yeah. and as i'm thinking this and saying this what i'm thinking about is that maybe some of the deadness i experience, what i call deadness is not that but it is my readiness vis-a-vis someone's not readiness you know There is something that happens in one particular soil and life which allows you to be open enough to experience a state of sexing even when you're not in sex. That is me. That I have arrived there. Yeah, And the other person may not have arrived there. And you are waiting. (laughs) So maybe it's that. That I can't push you, I can't teach you because there is so much that goes into this willingness to learn and be open and yes. and teach and say and all of the power dynamics around men and women and how fragile your ego is and how do I say things to you in a way that doesn't crush you yes. and yeah, simply how ready is the other person to stomp into that and say okay, fine, let's do this, let's be crazy yes. so that has, yeah, oh wow, that's emerging for me, that it is not deadness it's not distance, it's not maybe it's not so many other things maybe it's just the fact that my bread is nice and rising and smelling delicious and yours is kneading still Uh, (laughs) it still needs a lot of kneading and that's not judgment there that's just different states that you're in different states of sexing
1: and so therefore it is not about your deadness or about you or me or anybody else but it's about that larger damage that is there
0: yeah.
1: in the world. Yeah. It is the climate crisis in
0: bed. It is the climate crisis in bed. Yeah. Mm. Because all of this being ready has come at a great cost. There has been a cost to it. There has been a, a massive cost. You've been ostracized and ostracized and isolated and labelled as something. And you've learned to be fugitive around this. You learn yes. to be quiet and hide it because you don't want to be ousted from more and more spaces. Yeah. And how many of yeah. us literally have the luxury to do that? How many of us yes. can afford to do that? Is also the question. So a lot of us go into hiding while not hiding. We're hiding in plain sight. We're hiding so in plain
1: sight. So my, my sense is it's, it's not merely that uh, we can't afford to, cannot, but that we are not bringing in the complexity, mm. it's just become so... So that is where the damage is, right? We can only see it in just through a couple of contexts, and we just end there and not think about all the various factors that is playing a role in this particular moment to understand what, are, what is the state of this. And because we cannot, our territory is not alive. You're just working through very limited maps, mm-hmm. very limiting metaphors. Mm-hmm. There is only that much we can do. Mm-hmm. I, I I remember there was a time when uh, I used to hear about sex as plumbing mm-hmm. and I'm like- Screwing. Now I'm Slug. just like- <laughs>
0: I know, plumbing, screwing, going at it—all of that nonsense. It's... it's just
1: those words that we use around sex, and like, you got to be kidding me. I know. This is this what we are doing as machines, trying to fix parts into each other, and just. Doing the machine thingy. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are are we doing?
0: And as I heard you talk about bringing in complexity, what also came to me was, and maybe that's like limiting this experience, but when I see people who've been able to largely free themselves at whatever cost, be as creative as they want to be around the work that they're doing, yeah, free themselves from labels of this is how you want to you should appear as an engineer or a doctor or a teacher and they've been able to kick their way out of it and they've been able to free themselves and be artists or potters or whatever it is something has happened in that soil that has also made them ready or alive for their sexing I mean you see them with creative people they are spilling everywhere they flow they flow and this is not to say that they have some additional godsend quality that they are born with no they've been able to do that again because of maybe multiple reasons factors to be able to find themselves to be free yeah and then there are others who find themselves stuck or limited in many many contexts and how do you limit that stuckness to only profession or family life it is going to affect sexing it is going to affect how you appear in bed also so it's a lot more complex than how am I as a sexual being how do I identify as it is a lot more than that
1: yeah Yeah. wow Um, are you sure this was in the podcast because how we, do we repeat it? Much? We
0: can't repeat it, Bhavna. I will work away to edit it. Oh, because this was so powerful. This was so powerful. It? it was so powerful, so beautiful. And it landed in the many ways that I had hoped it would land in without it being um, you know, insensitive, without it being uh, painful to those who hear it, and gentle and also present in the way that I am really attempting to show up as I really am as I am inside. And it's hard for me yeah. to do that in public spaces. I think the podcast is where I feel like, okay, only people who really invested and interested in me are going to listen and they will probably not be family. <laughs> so it's... And it's been such a crazy ride doing this with you, Bhavna. Thank you so much. And I feel like there's a part of me that doesn't want to end this three-part series, but I know that there's more coming, you know, till I have you in my life, there'll be more madness, more laughter, more wandering off of scripts, more of scripting, as you say it. And who knows what we will find. And um, to my listeners, I hope that you keep hearing me and you keep hearing everybody else I bring to the show. Um, Stay connected. Stay connected. Bye bye.